HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Bob's Red Mill believes in baking, breakfast, and the pursuit of good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported, nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold-out food events across the country, to offering scholarships to high school students, is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org donate to become a member now. on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We are coming to you from the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York. It is Wednesday, June 21st, 2017, but this show will be broadcast on July 5th and beyond on Heritage Radio, iTunes, and Stitcher, so that is when you will be listening to us. This is the 146th episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today my guest is the one and only president of the CIA, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to promote from within. Hiring in-house can improve staff productivity and morale. I've often heard restaurateurs say that what motivates them to open a second or third restaurant is to keep their core team on board. By creating new opportunities, they can retain their top employees, allowing them to move up and remain challenged and excited about work. So when it comes to hiring, think in the box, as job loyalty is a good thing. That is my tip today. Now, I'm super excited to be here on the CIA campus interviewing Dr. Tim Ryan, 
He is the president of the Culinary Institute of America, which is also known as the CIA, where he has served as president since 2001. Dr. Ryan graduated from the CIA in 1977 and received a BA and MBA degree from the University of New Haven and a doctorate degree in education from the University of Pennsylvania. With the unique background of being a certified master chef and culinary Olympic champion with an Ivy League doctoral degree, he is the first alumnus and faculty member to rise through the CIA to become president. He's been named one of the 50 most powerful people in food by Nation's Restaurant News, among many other accolades. So, welcome. Hi. I'm wel- I, it's funny, I'm welcoming you and I'm in your <laughs> office. So you, That's right. So, so it's sort of like, welcome to myself. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> yes, well, thank you for taking time to do this interview with me um, on your beautiful campus. And I'm, we're at the Menus of Change conference, which we'll get to more at uh, in, within the interview, but I like to start out with my guest backgrounds, and so I want to know: Did you always dream of being a chef? Did you ever think you would be administration at a culinary institute? <laughs> um, administration at the CIA was not part of my uh, <laughs> my original plan, but um, life takes different twists and turns, as we all know. So, uh, quick background for me: I'm uh, from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. That's my, my hometown. And uh, from what is even today kind of a rough part of Pittsburgh, a section called East Liberty. But it was especially rough when I was, uh, when I was a kid. And um, so uh, growing up, uh, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And the only thought I really had as a, as a youngster was that I, I thought I might want to be a lawyer. Given the economic status of my family, however, we didn't know any lawyers. The only lawyer I knew was Perry Mason, which for younger listeners is an older reference. He, okay. was, a, he was a TV lawyer. Um, and um, then by chance I started to work in a restaurant. Some, some uh, friends of mine asked me to fill in so they could go see a Pirates game, and they knew that they needed to have replacements so they could do that, so I went and washed dishes. And uh, that was a turning point in my life. And I think that there's a common story there amongst many chefs. Uh, I absolutely loved it. I loved squirting the plates and running the dish machine and watching the kitchen. It was very active. And there was fire and knives and chefs and right. waitresses. And it was great. And uh, so I did a good job. Apparently the chef uh, asked me if I wanted to uh, come back. And I said yes. And I kept doing that for a while. And soon as I learned about this chef and saw how he ran his kitchen and so on. I said, wow, this is, this is a really cool thing. Maybe I, maybe I want to be a chef. He was also the most successful person I had ever seen. So he had a uh, big car, he had a big house, he had a big wad of cash, there were very yeah. few credit cards back in those days. I said, wow, this is, this is really exciting. Maybe I want to be a chef. And I went and asked him, um, you know, would you teach me how to cook? And he said, sure. So I was often running from, from that point. Um, I will tell you that uh, that person became like a second father and a, a great mentor. And actually, I just came back from Pittsburgh. He passed away oh. um, last week and at 84 years old. Nino Sorsi was his, uh, was his name, and he really made a difference in my life. So he was the first, uh, other yeah. than my family, of many mentors I've had. 
and uh, you know, I treasure his memory. Yeah, no, that's that's. I mean, having mentors is important, and yeah, that's. Yeah. Um, what did he did he suggest for you to go to culinary school? Well, that's a good question. So um, I, I hate to um, admit to what years you know this was all happening, but this would have been in. Uh, I probably started to work for him in the late sixties. And uh, by the early 70s, I had several years of cooking and under my, under my belt. And I was really becoming serious uh, about this. Of course, I was going to school. And uh, so I went to him and said, uh, Nino, I really think I want to I be a chef. And uh, he said, don't be a chef. <laughs> we, we work too hard. Be a lawyer. Um, right. That's what you had thought of. And you're a smart kid. Why don't you, why don't you do that? And of course, you know, at 14 years old or however I was, that made being a chef just that much more intriguing. And um, so uh, I continued to work for him, but I went to the library. And um, I said, well, I was intended on going to college anyhow. There must be a college for chefs. It was very naive. You, you know, there's a college for everything. There must be a college for chefs. And that's where I, I first read about the Culinary Institute of America. And um, so that became my place. It was the only place that there was right. back in, in, in those days. I had and, read that the campus was originally in New Haven. And when I wrote away, that, that's exactly right. Okay. It, I wrote to, to New Haven, but during my time in high school, the school moved from New Haven okay. to so, where we're so at Okay, so you now. were, you went to school here? I did. Yeah. Which, yeah. now the campus, I... In the early days here in Hyde Park. Yeah. It didn't look quite like no. it looks now. Well, I don't know. My first time out here was two years ago, and I just was, I mean, it's a huge campus. I was in awe of everything happening. But, wow, well, you've seen, you've certainly seen it change from when you were a student. And then, well, I guess we should, we should get into, um, what did, you came to school here, and then you graduated, and you went to work in restaurants, or I'm assuming. Right. So, what was that like? Well, I came here, um, I graduated, you mentioned, in, in 1977, and uh, uh, went to work in, in restaurants. Along the way, while I was a student, my father passed away, and so my original plan was I was going to go to New York City, but uh, because of those family circum circumstances, um, I was also then the head of the household back at home, so that took me back to, uh, to Pittsburgh. And um, so I didn't really have, you know, a, a clear plan. And one of the things I remember about my mentor, uh, Nino, is that, uh, you know, the day I got home after, after graduating, he came and, you know, he gave me a present for graduation. He said, well, what are you going to do now? I said, well, you know, my dad just passed away and uh, so I'm not quite sure. I, you know, maybe I'll come back and work for you. And uh, he said, no, you can't come back and work for me. You, I've already taught you mm -hmm. everything that um, I can I can teach you. It would be great for me because it would make my life easier, but it would not be the right thing for you. And I've looked back at that over the years and thought, you know, what a great gift. What a, what a great guy this was. Right. He really could have taken advantage of me probably at that time. So anyhow, I started to work in, uh, in restaurants in, in Pittsburgh and within a few years was partner in a restaurant called La Normand, which went on to become uh, the best restaurant in, in Pittsburgh and uh, got some national acclaim and 
I think it's still regarded as probably uh, this, self, this sounds self-aggrandizing, but if you go back to Pittsburgh, they'll they'll still say that that's the greatest restaurant that there ever was in, in Pittsburgh. At some point, I think I have to get to Pittsburgh and see what's happening there. I know the dining scene has been there's been some some new developments happening, or more chefs are opening places there in the past couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. I think Pittsburgh is really uh, on on the uprise. Of course, this is a different era and a different generation and. My generation, that was the era of Nouvelle Cuisine and fancy white tablecloths, silver cloches, Mm -hmm. and and all those kind of things. So that's what I was aspiring to be. And I was really aspiring like a lot of chefs of my generation, uh, Paul Bocuse. He was like the Elvis Presley of of chefs, and he inspired my entire generation to try to follow in his path. Uh, Things have changed. We've progressed since, since that time. But that's what I was trying to do. Yeah. But I'm thinking you have the Paul Bocuse restaurant now on campus. Was that... We have the Paul Bocuse campus on... Well, uh, uh, so right? uh, along okay. the way, yeah. somewhere, um, <laughs> I went to France uh-huh. and uh, and worked with uh, with Chef Bocuse. I've dined there, and, if that counts as anything. Right. <laughs> and so I've known him. It does count. Uh, that's... A, and it was know, incredible. It was, a yeah. gastronomic pil- pilgrimage. And so I got to know him, mm-hmm. and so he's been another friend and, and mentor over the years. His son Jerome graduated from the CIA. Right. So we're very honored uh, by that. And uh, Paul was here for the opening of the, the restaurant in his name. Oh, awesome. We opened it on his birthday. Well, that's fitting. Yeah. So how did you get back? How did, what, what, what brought you back to the CIA and, and as, as not a student, but on the admin side? Yeah, so I think that's a great question, and it's it's kind of uh, illustrative of of how careers develop. So I had I loved the CIA. Uh, you know, I was very proud that I that I win here, but I wanted to be the American Paul Bocuse, and um, that's what I was was focused on. And um, there was another guy in Pittsburgh, so I had no inkling of coming back to the school in any capacity. Uh, but there was another guy in Pittsburgh who was the head of research and development at H.J. Hines Corporation, and his name was Ferdinand Metz. And he was also a, he was a famous chef and um, just happened to be there. And so he got named to be the new president of the CIA. And he knew of me. He had come to the restaurant. Hines threw him a big going-away party at my restaurant. And um, so he was talking to me. He said, hey, I want you to come to CIA. I want to start this new thing. Uh, I want to create an American restaurant. So this was in the early 1980s where that was like, what? What is that? And um, so I was kind of his first draft pick. So, so what the was lesson- your, first, your, your first role? When you, when you came back, what were you hired? To, to run the restaurant? Well, uh, so first of all, I said no for about a year because I was really passionate about French food and mm-hmm. didn't really know what American food was because it was that, – that seems – see, you're too young and our students are too young to remember that. But when you said American food, people said, what is that? Hot dogs and hamburgers? There's no such thing as American food. And so we were really pioneers in what became the American food revolution. Uh, along with folks, many CIA alums like Larry Forgione and Dean Faring and right. Brad Ogden and some a bunch of not Jasper White, uh, people like Paul Perdome down in, in New Orleans. So I, I came here to develop the American Bounty Restaurant, and we were at the forefront, which opened in 1982, which is before Spago and a lot of other kind of iconic American 
uh, movement restaurants. And um, so that's what I did. And I also went around the country to do research on what is this thing, American cuisine? How can we explain it? You know, mm-hmm. what, does it what does it really mean? And uh, so that was a great adventure. And then I'm... Um just to jump ahead a little, I mean, you've remained with the CIA, but you've you've moved you've moved up or you've moved positions to now being the president. Was that? I mean, were there a lot of steps along the way? I mean, how did you know? <laughs> um, we haven't. These are really insightful questions because you and I have not talked about this uh, in, in in the past. But I came here with a couple thoughts originally. Um, I, I really thought a, a highly of Ferdinand Metz. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a cool guy, and he became another important mentor in my in my life. And um, uh, I loved the school. I thought this would be an interesting thing, and this was all going to last for two years, and then I'd be back out into the industry in pursuit of my dream of being the American Paul Bocuse. You could put on a big, tall toque right now and be, I don't know, every time, I see, every time you say Paul Bacuse, I think of the image with the, with the toque. Exactly. There's a yeah. picture of him on my wall. I mean, you say the words and it just goes into, it just flashes in my mind, so I'm, I want to put a hat on you right Paul, now. Paul, Paul was the man. But anyhow, I thought, I thought this would be a couple year thing and I would learn a lot mm-hmm. and make a contribution and then be uh, back uh, out and on my mer- merry way. But something interesting happened along the way. I discovered uh, the difference between being a student and a faculty member. And I could feel what kind of impact I was making and what and I could see what kind of impact the CIA really made on the lives of young people. And I reflected, wow, it, it totally changed my life too. And um, I, I, I guess if we were think you know, talking about psychology, we would call that self-actualization. It was really like a light bulb, like, wow, mm-hmm. this is a bigger calling. Being the American Paul Bocuse might be neat, but if I could make an impact on generation after generation, wave after wave of young American chefs, I mean, what gets bigger than that? And um, so that happened within the first year that I was here. I'm still in my, in my 20s. <laughs> and, I, and I went to... You are. Uh, <laughs> well, I was. <laughs> then. Uh, so um, I went to President Metz, and very naively, uh, I, I said, hey, I think I'm going to stay here. Of course, he was surprised, you know, saying, well, great. Yeah, I'm glad to hear it. And I, I have a plan now that when you're done being president, I'd like to be. So he'd been on the job for a year or two by that by that time, and uh, very graciously he said he was a great mentor. And he said, "I love that. That's a great idea, um, but I'm planning on being around for a while, and you have a lot of things that you need to accomplish." And so he sat down with me, and we drew up a list of about 20 things that I needed to do. Um, he felt that I needed to be a certified master chef. He felt that I needed to be on the culinary Olympic team. And it would be great if I was the captain of the Culinary Olympic team. He felt that I needed to be the president of the American Culinary Federation. Uh, I had a, an associate's degree from the CIA at that time. He said, I have an MBA. This is what Ferdinand said to me. He said, you'll need to have a doctoral degree you know, to be the next president. So on the list was get a bachelor's degree, get an MBA, get a doctoral degree. 
Uh, and the list went on and on. And once we drew it up, I'm like, I was completely discouraged. I said, wow, this is going to take me years. And he said, uh, you just have to look at it one step at a time. Now, don't look at what the end is. Just, you know, take one class at a time, do one task at a time. And that was great advice. And so I started almost immediately, okay, here's, here's what I'm going to do. And it took me to get through that list probably... Uh, what, to At, get, got you out of your 20s. I got me out of my <laughs> 20s. Um, I think I had gotten through... Oh, and he, he also said, hey, there's no guarantees. Mm-hmm. You're also going to need to be a successful faculty member. You're going to have to break into administration, and you're going to have to do a great job uh, in, as a department head, as a division head, all those all those kind of things. And this time I was still a faculty member. And, and uh, so, again, I was not... Uh, I was undaunted by that uh, by that challenge and started to work at it. And it took me probably I don't know, 15 years for sure to get through that list. And to, to the final piece was to uh, get my doctoral degree, which I, you mentioned I got from the University of Pennsylvania. And so that, in total, mm-hmm. probably took 20 years. And uh, then I was ready to be president. There was no guarantees, but I went through that process, and, and there you go. So. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm so glad you shared that background because no. I didn't know the story, no. and I think it's that's, that's amazing. So on that note, we're going to take a little break, and we're going to come back and talk more with Dr. Tim Ryan. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Mike Kalameko, host of Food Talk on Heritage Radio Network, and I'm here with Bob Moore, founder of Bob's Red Mill, as well as Ray and Tom Williams, who've worked with Bob for years and co-own an organic farm in eastern Oregon and Washington. Ray, Tom, why is organic farming so important to your family? It's all a matter of the soil is a source of nutrients. You increase organic matter of the soil, you increase the water holding capacity. Water is becoming increasingly scarce. So in terms of sustainability, we don't think it's the only answer, but it's one answer, and it's the answer that we're trying to pursue. It's been a challenge, and it's been fun, because it, it is different, and we're learning how to do it for the last 10-plus years. We're not just doing organic. We're doing organic to high standards. Bob, why did you choose to partner with Ray and Tom? Oh, goodness. Well, because they're the best farmers in Oregon, and they're close, and they have a bunch of acres, I think about 10,000, over in in eastern Oregon and Washington. They're wonderful farmers, and their family have been farmers over there uh, for many, many years. It's really important that you have long-term relationships, and we've enjoyed a long-term relationship with Bob's because there are a lot of challenges to organic farming. You simply don't have as many tools as a conventional farmer, and so you have to rely on longer-term solutions. Knowing that you have a market is absolutely critical. The margins in farming are not that great, so if you grow the stuff and you can't sell it, you have a real problem. And we know with Bob's that we have a market, and uh, we turn out high-quality grains, and they buy them, and it all works well. Learn more about Bob's Red Mill and their commitment to good food for all at bobsredmill.com slash podcast.
Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Dr. Tim Ryan, the president of the Culinary Institute of America. We are here on campus, and we're here right now at the Menus of Change conference. So there's been there's so many things we can talk about and so many things that have happened since you were a student, since you've been president. But these conferences, I mean, from this is the fifth year of the conference? Right. Or, okay, so how did... How did how did these the menus have changed and also worlds of flavor and the different conferences you've done how how did they come about in, in their development and um, or your your role with them? Well, I think uh, part of the evolution of the school uh, menus have changed, uh, which is our oldest conferences. I think twenty years uh, this year. So really, we wanted to just start to. Uh, pioneer or or promote the idea that there were all these different global cuisines. The, the world was still a little bit, we had broken through with American cuisine, but the world was still a little bit uh, French-centric. And uh, the CIA's curriculum was a little bit focused on France. And still the basic fundamentals largely come from, from France, but we wanted to explore all these other areas. And so that brought about um, worlds of flavors and the promotion of, of global cuisines. And I guess it goes back to the fact that uh, part of our mission is we're a leadership institution, and we want to help uh, encourage and, and direct and educate the industry about what new opportunities are uh, are available. And so we, we felt that that was uh, that was a big one. Menus of Change came about uh, starting about seven years ago. It took a while to incubate and and all those kind of things. So really, we were looking at some things that we saw as emerging rapidly. Um, we've always been interested in health and wellness. We had many initiatives, particularly with our partners at Harvard School of Public Health, on uh, on that topic. But all the issues surrounding sustainability and what restaurants could do there, a whole category of issues that we dubbed at the time food ethics, like uh, humane treatment of animals, uh, GMOs, hormones, chemicals in food. So this is going back seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also saw at the time that there were all kinds of calls for legislation. And a lot of people have uh, the mind that the the way to cure some of the the ills is to pass laws and to legislate the the food industry. And our perspective was if we can point the industry towards um, their capitalistic notions, you know, how can you make money? And our experience is that even the big companies, you know, they're not wed to French fries. If they could sell carrot sticks and make money, they're happy to do that. Um, so how could how could we look at that intersection of food ethics, sustainability, health and wellness, and commerce, and start to point the industry and encourage the industry that they can be successful and make money in doing all these good things? And that brought about menus of change. Great. I think we're we're off to a great start in five years too. By the I, way, I do too. It's a it's a huge changes in the industry. Yeah, and this I mean the the business of healthy, sustainable, delicious food choices is the theme, and I think that's all. I mean, I've been going hearing a lot about plant based diets and food and the changes happening in the industry, and it's um I think it's important and a great thing that you guys are doing here as pioneers in culinary education. Um, what? How many? How many students are now at the CIA? And you have different different programs. Different right. We have degrees. different campuses, different programs. So today we're in Hyde Park, New York, which is the main campus. Mm-hmm. 
we've got about uh, 200 acres here on the Hudson River. We've got a great campus and two different facilities in the beautiful Napa Valley. Yes. Uh, Greystone in uh, St. Helena and our newly acquired Copia facility in Napa. We've got a, a fabulous Texas, or a Texas campus in San Antonio, one in Singapore, and a castle in, uh, in Italy. In you have Puglia. a castle in Italy? We do, for students that want to. <laughs> <laughs> we do. For students of course you that, do. Yeah, for students that want to study Italian cuisine. And uh, we have a variety of different programs. Some students are studying food science. Some are, want to be chefs and are studying culinary arts. Others want to be pastry chefs and are studying baking and pastry arts. If you want to get a degree in hospitality management, if you want to focus on wines, we have programs for all those kind of things and many more. Yeah, no, it's a, there's so much happening here. And you've also created new concepts on campus like a brewery. Right. Where, that when a couple of years ago, how did that and how how is that working? Well, um, our our students and our alumni are interested in uh, flavor and uh, fermentation, and we have a lot of expertise in yeast. Uh, and so we saw that that students were interested in that, and there were career paths developing for people in the in the beer business, and. Um, we partnered with Brooklyn Brewery and uh, Steve Hindi. I, I don't know if you know Steve. You don't know Steve. He's well, he, Brooklyn Brewery. Yeah, yeah. and uh, they're they're great partners. And it, it helped that actually back in Pittsburgh, my father worked in a brewery. Oh, and ties so together. We, it, it, it tied together. But that's been a great addition. That's been a great addition to the campus. Yeah. What what any what's what's coming up? What's well. You, there's a lot of things coming up, but before I, I tell you what's coming up, I, I think that, um, you know, I can reflect on the fact that when I was a student here, there was one degree program, it was an associate's degree in culinary arts, and the career paths were also pretty, pretty limited. And by limited, I don't mean bad, they were just much more narrow. So right. you graduated from the CIA, and you went to become a cook, your first step, in a restaurant, a hotel, or a club. That was pretty much it. Mm -hmm. uh, today... The students have the entire world of food that they can get into, and so our our course offerings have broadened to to acknowledge that they want to be entrepreneurs. That uh, one of the founders of Blue Apron, as an example, Matt Wadiak, is a CIA grad. Uh, the founder and CEO of Chipotle, Steve Ells, is a CIA grad. Grant Atkins is a CIA grad, and all kinds of people in between. There's so many different. Uh, career paths, so uh, so that's interesting. So we continue to pioneer those things today. The students, if they want to study or focus on uh, Asian studies, uh, they can do that and spend time at our campus in Singapore. If they want to focus on Latin American studies and cuisine, they can do that at our here and at our campus in San Antonio. If they want to specialize in wines, they can spend time at our campus in the Napa Valley and Italy. They go to Puglia. Um, so we have a lot of resources to help them. We have a great program in Japanese cuisine um, that is the only program outside of Japan that is certified by the Japanese government as being uh, authentic. As a matter of fact, I just got word that one of our alumni just won, I don't even have all the details, just won a very prestigious cooking uh, competition in Japan uh, and won the gold medal for creating authentic Japanese cuisine. So this would be the first time that, that a non-Japanese person had ever 
had ever won this. That's all the details I have right now, but we're we're excited about that. So I think as we move to the to the future, we have all kinds of offerings and and uh, including probably a lot more on uh, plant forward uh, cuisines and cooking. Yeah, I'm thinking. I wish I go back in time or be yeah like like it all sounds everything you're saying sounds appealing to me as like yeah I'd like to go on that do that program or travel abroad and it's it's all amazing well, amazing stuff along with the uh, you know the um, campuses that the students can go to that we also have very significant pra- travel abroad programs mm-hmm. you know because if you want to study Asian cuisine you got to go to Vietnam right. and Cambodia and and China and, and so we take them there uh, with our faculty members, or Spain, or France, or Italy, and so I agree. I wish I could go back too, <laughs> the, but that's when I know energy. that we're yeah. doing a good job. Yeah. And I say this is a place that I would, I would want to come to. Oh, you, you absolutely are. And anytime I hear or see that someone went to the CIA, I'm, I'm impressed, and I'm also a little jealous. I honestly, I'm like, good for you. I'm you know? jealous of today's <laughs> students too. Okay, we're going to take another break here, and then we're going to come back and play my speed round game and talk a little industry news. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Dr. Tim Ryan, the president of the Culinary Institute of America. It is time for my speed round game. Uh-oh. <laughs> I have a feeling you're going to be good at this. So what it is... is Don't I, count on it. I name, I name two or more things. It's an either-or situation. You pick your preference. Oh, okay. So here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat out. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Wine. Tasting menu or a la carte? It depends, but if I have to choose, I'll say uh, tasting menu. Small plates or large plates? It depends, but uh, large plates. Well, what's it? I usually don't get in much discussion, but what's the depends? Um, well, it depends on the restaurant. <laughs> okay, okay, enough said. Um, how about communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Hmm. Uh, tipping. Cooking or being cooked for? In uh, in contradiction to my earlier uh, that I would rather eat out, I do still love to cook, so I'll cook. Okay. I wasn't sure on that mm-hmm. one because you, yeah, both. Okay. Um, tailgating or going straight to the game? My wife is writing a book about tailgating, so I'm going to say tailgating. Yes, I guess I know Lynn. I know she's working on that. Yeah, Yeah, I figured you like tailgating, or else, or else you probably wouldn't be married. That's right. She's the tailgate queen for sure. Well, I'd love to come to one of your tailgates sometime. Please do. Okay, two more: cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate. Manhattan or Brooklyn? Manhattan. Sorry, Brooklyn. 
It's all right. <laughs> I'm Manhattan, too. Awesome. And that's the game. See, you're good at it. Okay, so industry news. Big news this week. I think everyone's been talking about how Amazon has bought Whole Foods for $13.4 billion. Um, I had an article in the New York Times. Uh, there are many, many articles if you Google Huge news. those words, right. uh, Amazon Whole Foods. So what's, what's your take on this? Yeah, I, you know, I haven't seen coverage like that for the longest time. I can't think of other yeah. than war or, you know, some, some bad thing, but it really was gigantic news. Um, I think it's interesting. I think that it is a brilliant move by both Jeff Bezos, mm-hmm. the head of Amazon, and John Mackey, the, the head of Whole Foods, for different, for completely different reasons. It solves the problem. Uh, or creates an opportunity for for both of them. Um, I think they have they have said that uh, the deal uh, was developed over a fairly short period. Maybe mm-hmm. different reports say different things, but maybe six or seven seven weeks. So they haven't worked out all the details themselves, but they know that there's the potential for something there. So it'll be interesting to see how it transpires. Yeah, it will be interesting. I mean, yeah, I'm trying. I'm. I don't know. I feel online shopping for food. Like I, I mean, I currently living in Manhattan. I do use Fresh Direct from time to time as as food delivery. Um, I've never thought about you know using Amazon before. Um, I think from what I read with their their you know their streamlined distribution, how they can make this happen, um, it, it it will be interesting. And I'm also curious to see. What happens to the other companies like the like Fresh Direct if, if they're affected or not? Um, and I shop at Whole Foods too, so right. Yeah, I know John Mackey, and uh, I know Walter Robb, who used to be the mm-hmm. co CEO. They're they're good people. They've really moved uh, moved that part of the industry forward. But um, this is going to be an interesting change for for them. So we'll see. We don't know. We will see. The, yeah, the market will determine what happens. So stay tuned for my next show at whatever point that that happens. <laughs> okay, the other article I had, this this is from a couple weeks ago, but I didn't get a chance to talk about it on another show, and I was like, I wanted to talk about it. Cause, so it was also in the New York Times, and it's entitled, How Cold Brew Changed the Coffee Business, and this is by Oliver Strand. And I just, for me, I had this, like, aha moment, because I have found with cold brew as, as something that I will see in coffee shops and I will order it time and time again and that I don't truly love it. And I, I've always wondered, well, why don't I love it? I love coffee. I love iced coffee. And this article is basically explaining from the process that that there's an absence of acidity that with cold brew, the way, and, and that is, the, so the brightness um, of the coffee is, is, isn't there. And that, so anyways, I had this aha moment, like, Oh, that's probably why I don't like it. It's missing some acidity, but it's changed the market completely because now, um, coffee sales used to just spike or be the season in, in warmer or in colder months. And now summertime, this is, everyone drinks cold brew. Right. Do you drink cold brew? I don't uh, <laughs> drink cold brew. Um, but my kids do. Okay. So, with respect to coffee, I'm more of a creature of habit, mm-hmm. I think, uh, and I that my kids are still experimenting with all kinds of things and all kinds of coffees. And, yeah. Uh, 
Well, I mean, this, this, I, I don't, I, I'm assuming on uh, your classes and campus here, there's things talking about coffee and cold brew, but this process was. And we, we actually yeah. have, I mean, people are so passionate about food. There's a whole society here. There's a whole club, extracurricular club that just focuses on coffee. The coffee club. Yeah. I'm not surprised. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because this, I mean, the process for people who don't know, it's like um, uh, you they, you steep coffee grounds in room temperature water. It's not essentially cold, but it has to be steeped for 6 to 20 hours. So um, the restaurants, or if anyone's serving it, needs to prepare it the night before. So you have right. to be ready for it. But um, it's very popular, and I continue to buy it and drink it. And I like, I don't know, just something about it is a little, it's not my... The flavor profile isn't my favorite, but um, I felt like, oh, now I know why. Yeah, I haven't really had enough cold brew coffee mm-hmm. to um, have drawn that conclusion because I'm more traditional, as I said. Right. As I said, so I, I, I drink the, the traditional hot stuff. But uh, if we take your same idea and transfer it to tea, mm-hmm. uh, I have the same feeling about cold brewed tea. Okay. I love tea, uh-huh. but there's something about cold brewed tea that is uh, incomplete to me. It doesn't have the same roundness as tea that's brewed hot. Maybe that's because I'm just more used to it. Maybe there's some other extracts that come out. I don't know what it is, but I, I you know, I understand what you're saying about yeah, yeah, yeah. But it really, the, really, I should say, the focus of this article is talking about how cold brew has changed the coffee business, and coffee business is really booming more so because because of this is, and so it's you know. More changes in the industry, and people no do question. love coffee. And um, you know, there's no uh, no doubt that uh, this is not an original observation. But you want to talk about a revolutionary? Howard Schultz changed the entire world. Absolutely. Uh, in, in terms of <laughs> coffee, when I was a kid, it was you know 25 cents or whatever, and it was a bottomless cup of coffee. It was a commodity. Yeah. And look what he and Starbucks were able to. Many people have built, yeah. and companies have built on that. But he's been an unbelievable pioneer. No, Starbucks is. I mean, it's changed, uh, changed so much, so much. Every yeah, huge influence. Yeah, could do a full show. And on he's that. also he's also a great guy. See, he works with Starbucks. You know, I've met Howard on several occasions, and uh, great guy. I don't think I have to reach out to him to have him on my show. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Howard, so, if you're out there yeah, listening, <laughs> Howard, Howard, you want to come give on my Sherry show? Give Sherry a call. <laughs> Okay, so on that note, we're going to take one more break, and then I'm going to come back and do my solo dining experience, and we'll have the final question. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Please don't say you love me. When you do how you do, please don't say you care. Girl, I know you've been untrue. Well, it ain't hard to tell. You've been seeing somebody new. So please don't kiss and hug me the way he wants you to. Welcome back to Only Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. This week, it's at Ad Hoc. Here's the rundown. The location, 6476 Washington Street, Yontville, California. The concept, a casual dining venue showcasing the American comfort food of Chef Thomas Keller's childhood. The chef and owner, Thomas Keller. The chef de cuisine, Matt Alba. Why did I go? 
because in April I was driving through town on the way to CIA's Worlds of Flavor conference at Greystone in St. Helena, and I'm a huge Keller fan. My experience. So I had made a reservation for one, but when I arrived I decided there were there were seats at the bar, so I decided to sit at the bar instead, where I found out at the bar you could order a la carte, which for me worked better than doing the whole family-style four-course menu, which I knew would be delicious, but I also knew it was going to be too much food for me. So I settled in at the bar and was very well taken care of. What did I get? So they have a daily changing menu. I was lucky that their famous buttermilk fried chicken was on the menu. So that's what I got, and it came with hot dog mac and cheese and sautéed asparagus, and I also had a seltzer. My take. Now, I can see why this fried chicken is a lot of my colleagues' favorites. Uh, it's definitely finger licking good, to say the least. And the sides were great. The asparagus was super fresh. I know it comes from the garden across the street. The ambiance. It's a comfortable place with the feeling of being in someone's home, or I'd say someone's home who has a nice large bar in it. Perfect for comfort food cravings and sharing with friends. Interesting tidbit. The CIA has a wonderful relationship with Chef Keller, hosting Thomas Keller Day on May 9, 2013, among other collaborations. Personal fun fact. I did not see Chef Keller on this visit, but I did see him when I had solo dined at the French Laundry a couple years ago, which was awesome, and I hope to see him again soon. So the cost was $36, and that is including tax and gratuity. Um, just so people know, the four-course tasting is $55. It's a really great deal. Would I go back? You bet. Their website is thomaskeller.com backslash ad hoc. So, yeah, you did Chef Thomas Keller Day. We did. <laughs> and actually, I, uh, I agree with you completely. I had dinner with Thomas Keller at ad hoc last Tuesday. Or no, last Monday, which was following our, the first annual Thomas Keller Golf Classic. Oh wow! In support of scholarships at the CIA. That's that's so, awesome. A, a great golf tournament at uh, Silverado Country Club in uh, in uh, Napa. So, and Thomas is a CIA trustee and a, and a good friend. Great guy. Great yeah, show. Yeah, great guy. Has done a lot. Can't of go industry. wrong with ad hoc or really any of his places. No, I hadn't been to ad hoc. I had been to Bouchon on yep. another visit, and I loved it. And I had the one time I went to the French Laundry, and yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of it. I will tell you secretly that I think, and he hasn't told me this directly, that ad hoc is Thomas Keller's favorite restaurant in Thomas Keller world. Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> well, there's it's it's. I could see. I mean, it's it's as I said, it, or is it's on his website. It's his childhood favorites, yep. and it's something. It feels it's comfortable. It's casual. It's right. you know. Yep. But all of his places have a you know a different vibe and different also level of all expense. Great. All great. <laughs> so he, he's um, unbelievable. Yeah, is he a good golfer? Are you a good golfer? Um, well, I used to be better, but yeah, we're pretty good. And okay. uh, we're also golf partners, so we've traveled all over the world golfing together, and uh, we're both very competitive. Well, if you need someone to drive your cart around, I would be happy <laughs> to go. Okay, time for the final question. So my next guest is Kat Kinsman. She is the Senior Food and Drinks Editor at Extra Crispy. She's also the author of a new book, High Anxiety, Life with a Bad Case of Nerves, and the founder of a website, Chefs with Issues. Kat is a dynamic woman. She does a lot. So what would you like to ask her? It can be anything. Hmm. Uh, well, I'm not familiar with her. I haven't read her book, so I don't um, I don't yeah. really know. Well, it's, it's a newer book, and it's high, like, 
like hi, like hello, anxiety, and talking about, um, yeah, it could be it could be anything. It could be does she golf? <laughs> um, well, let's ask her what her favorite restaurant is. Okay. There you go. There you have it, and that's the show. Great. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. You're great. Oh, thank you. This has been such a treat. I'm sitting here in your office, and which is lovely on the most beautiful campus, and yeah, CIA and Greystone too. I just love that campus. So. Um, congratulations on everything you've done in your career from being, yeah, it's just Still working it's a great on it, story. Thank you. Well, stay tuned for what's next. So my guest today has been Dr. Tim Ryan. He's the president of the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America. You can find them. Their website is ciachef.edu. The conference we are at now, their website is menusofchange.org. On social media, at CIA Culinary, at CIA Leadership, and the hashtag is CIAMOC. You can find me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org, on iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you very much to Dr. Tim Ryan and his whole team here at the CIA. Very happy to be here. I'm Sherry Bayer. Thank you for being part of All in the Industry. for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. On the top of the hill you see hey.